Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Good. For those of you who might not know, I'm Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-ministers here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. It's great to have you. We have been in the midst of a teaching series called Following the Spirit, and we are almost done. Today, we're going to wrap up the teaching portion of that and have a bit of a community dialogue next week. So I hope that you will join with us for that conversation next week. What we try to do very often here is have a period of teaching and then end that with some conversation with each other about what we have been gaining from that or what questions that has stirred up in us. And so that's what we're gonna do next week. But today we're going to wrap up the teaching portion of it with Joel chapter two, verses 28 through 29. So I'm gonna ask you just to pray with me for a moment before we jump into the text. God, we thank you so much for another opportunity for us to gather here to uh, lift up our voices, to sing our hopes, uh, to confess our fears and our doubts, and to pray uh, for the things that we deeply long for and desire for. God, it's my prayer today that we would all begin to recognize how your spirit is at work in the world, bringing about those hopes, those dreams, those longings for a better future, a future that is more just and generous and peaceful, a future that is full of reconciliation and goodness and diversity. We pray that you would bring those fruits more visibly and recognizably into our lives. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So part of our series uh, at times has been me sort of uh, sharing with you or confessing perhaps to some of you uh, our engagement, Janelle and I, our sort of history in other expressions of Christianity. And one of those, as I talked about last week, was in more charismatic or Pentecostal expressions of Christianity. And I shared with you like, you know, what, I thought were sort of just funny stories about our involvement in that. Um, Today, I want to tell you about the day that I knew I was done with that. And it wasn't that day that I told you about. For those of you who were here last week or watching last week, it wasn't that day that the itinerant prophet was trying to push me down, you know, subtly in the forehead. Uh, This was another day entirely. And, And in fact, it was a couple years later. Like, it takes me a while to move on from commitments Uh, And so as I was sort of like drawing closer to questioning and being frustrated with what I I thought were sort of abuses of power in those kinds of situations, I found myself at a conference. This was in Salt Lake City. Our church was in Park City, Utah. And we were engaged with a a conference that was happening in Salt Lake. And similar kind of situation, a bunch of like itinerant prophets had flown into Salt Lake City in their private jets. And, you know, they were coming to speak at this conference to teach all of us how to have the spirit of God in our lives. And uh, it was, you know, kind of the same thing that I talked about last week, right? A lot of sort of very visible, very showy kind of outward expressions of what were purported to be the Holy Spirit. And I was accustomed to that at this point, and I was struggling with my own sort of doubts and concerns about all of that. And then we got to the end of the the session, and one of those prophets stood up on stage at the end of the session and he prayed over an offering. Now, I don't have a problem with offerings. I mean, we don't really do them here, but I don't really have a problem with them. I think if you're doing good work, 
it's charitable work and it's impacting the community, it's okay to ask for people to contribute to it. So we took an offering and I was like, yeah, whatever. So then the offering ended uh, and then the prophet said, now what I would like to do is for those of you who would like to give an extra gift, I want to pray a special blessing over those of you who are willing to give above and beyond. And so after the, you know, bowls or buckets or, you know, like I think they passed around KFC buckets or something like that for money, right? After that had been done, he said, in the, in the seats in front of you, you'll find an envelope. Now I want you to pull out one of those envelopes and I want you to write on it, you know, seed gift, right? And this will be an extra gift that you give to my ministry and however much you give will grow tenfold to bless you immeasurably. And I was like, <laughs> okay, very specific opinions about what this constitutes, right? Uh, and it, it's, there's an acronym for what I thought was happening, but I'm not going to use that acronym here. Uh, let's just say it has to do with cows, right? And excrement. I was really getting frustrated. And he said, now I want you to put your check in this envelope. He said, I want you to think about a number. Imagine a number. Maybe for you, it's $50 or it's $100. Or maybe for you, it's $5,000. Whatever it is, I want you to imagine that number. Now, do you have it in your heads? The Spirit of God is calling you to double that number. And I was like, is anybody falling for this? Nobody is falling for this, right? And then I looked around and sure enough, people are like scribbling checks, you know, and they're putting checks in the envelopes and they're putting cash in the envelopes. And then he said, wonderful. Now, here's what I want you to do. For those of you who are willing to go above and beyond, for those of you who are willing to show faith, real faith, I want you to hold your envelope in the air right now, wave it around. And like half of the auditorium raised up these envelopes. He said, for those of you who have real faith, I want to pray a special blessing on your lives and your lives only. And I knew in that moment that I was done with that. That what had happened is that the Spirit of God, the idea of the Holy Spirit, the idea of God, the idea of God's blessing, the idea of God's goodness, God's pleasure in you, God's grace, God's love, had been weaponized. That had been used to create classes of people. In that very auditorium, there were those who were holding their envelopes in the air. They were those who were going to be blessed by this man, by the Spirit of God and those who weren't holding their envelopes in the air, and they were not. And so in that moment, I knew that that wasn't a kind of expression of Christianity that I could continue to be a part of. I share that with you because this series is about learning to follow the Spirit. That's what I've called it, following the Spirit. And we are not the kind of church that makes conspicuous shows of the Spirit of God. And so I've often had people ask me, you know, what's the role of the Holy Spirit at the Oceanside Sanctuary? And usually my answer is, I, I don't know. <laughs> because as soon as we go there, as soon as I start using that language, as soon as we start having that conversation, the door opens for those kinds of expressions to enter in. Uh, and I, I, just me, I can't speak for any of you, but I, I won't be able to tolerate that. Um, and so this has been a tough subject for me to approach uh, because I have baggage and I have triggers, you know, all of that, right? 
So then if, if following the Spirit doesn't involve those kinds of powerful, like, demonstrations of the Spirit to, you know, like, heal your, you know, leg, one leg that's shorter than the other, or, you know, like, deliver you from a demonic possession, or to, like, magnify your bank account, if God doesn't exist for those reasons, if that's not what it means to follow the Spirit, then what does it mean? So my attempt has been to try to sketch out, mostly from the Old Testament, what I think that might mean. And here's what we've talked about, right? We started in Acts chapter 11, and just as a quick reminder, Acts chapter 11 was the story of Peter being shocked to learn that the Spirit of God had come to Gentiles, not just Jews. The Spirit of God had come to Cornelius and Cornelius' household. There's a whole group of people that previously had been understood to be unclean. Gentiles were an abomination in the sight of ancient Jewish people. And yet the Spirit of God was coming to them. And, and Peter concluded by saying, I couldn't possibly argue against what the Spirit of God was doing. The Spirit of God baptized them, so who am I to say that they can't be baptized? And that becomes the whole rationale for the faith to extend beyond this first century Jewish sect. The whole rationale became, we can't deny that God is coming to Gentiles because here's the fruit, here's the evidence of the Spirit of God coming. And so we began this whole series by me saying, we know that the Spirit of God is coming because we see the evidence of it, right? We talked about Galatians chapter 5, the Spirit of God and the fruit of the Spirit and what that looks like. And then we talked a little bit about Genesis chapter 1 and Psalm 51. And I said to you that the Spirit of God was present at the very beginning of the Bible. In fact, in the first few verses of the Bible, that the Spirit of God's job was to come to this place of chaos and disorder and bring new possibilities into the world. I said that the Spirit of God was depicted there as hovering over the waters in Genesis chapter 1. And out of that, the waters uh, become a, a kind of context for dark and light to be separated, for differences to be acknowledged. And then out of that space of creativity comes the creation of the world, creation of people, the creation of all life, the creation of uh, everything that's on the planet. In other words, the Spirit is a creative force that brings order and goodness out of chaos. And then in Psalm 51, we saw how that same thing was true for David. So what's true on a cosmic level, you know, what, what's depicted as a kind of cosmic work of the Holy Spirit in Genesis 1 is also depicted in Psalm 51 as a personal work. That what we talk about when we talk about the Spirit is that tendency for something good beyond us to come when we are in our darkest, most hopeless place, and it brings us to a place of hopefulness. It brings us to a place of sanity. It brings us to a place of health. That that's the work of the Spirit. And we saw that dynamically happening in David in Psalm chapter 51. So the Spirit of God comes to bring goodness and justice to move us from chaos and despair to hope and goodness and order. And then we saw, of course, in Isaiah chapter 42, that that movement follows a certain trajectory. It goes in a certain direction. In Isaiah chapter 42, we saw the Spirit of God invoked. And in that oracle where Isaiah is prophesying, Isaiah says that the Spirit of God comes to bring justice and righteousness. 
Um, so we see there's a certain trajectory to this movement from darkness to light, from chaos to order, and that trajectory is towards justice, but it's not just towards justice. It has a certain character to it. And maybe you remember this, but Isaiah chapter 42 describes that person who is filled with the Spirit of God, bringing the justice and the goodness and the order of God with the spirit of gentleness. It's that passage where Isaiah 42 says that that person of the Spirit will not uh, break a bruised reed, will not snuff out a smoldering wick. And so the way that good transformation, good change from chaos to order, from, from hopelessness to hopefulness comes not by force, not by cruelty, not by uh, violence, but instead by gentleness, by meekness, by kindness. And so we can know when a change is being led by the Spirit of God because it moves towards justice, towards goodness, and it does so gently, humbly, kindly. And this should sound a whole lot like Paul in Galatians chapter 5, talking about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control. If you want to know where the Spirit of God is going and you want to follow the Spirit of God, ask yourself, where is there a movement towards goodness, kindness, justice, peace that is being done with gentleness, with humility, with kindness? That's the Spirit of God. That's it. It's our job to figure out what that looks like. We see that, by the way, I think, in this brief passage I want to share with you today. It's Joel chapter 2. Verses 28 and 29. This is going to sound familiar to, to you because it brings us full circle. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29 is another uh, prophetic oracle, much like Isaiah chapter 42 that we visited last week. This time it's the prophet Joel. The prophet Joel is speaking of some time in the future and says, Then afterwards, that is afterwards, that, that word that we translate as afterwards is kind of a, at some point in the future, sometime in the next few days or a few months, it's a kind of cultural idiom to describe something that happens someday. Then afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions even on the male and female slaves. In those days, I will pour out my spirit. This is a radical passage for an ancient Hebrew prophet. Because what this prophet is saying is that, hey, that thing that I do where I speak on behalf of the spirit of God, that thing that I do where I utter into existence the fulfillment of hope, the fulfillment of God's goodness, the fulfillment of God's promises, that thing that prophets do, right? Someday everybody will have access to that. That spirit, that spirit of goodness that brings about righteousness and order and peace and justice will belong to everyone. Not just those who have the title of prophet. And to make his point, he poetically says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Not just your sons and your daughters, but old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And then, verse 29, importantly, and I'm sorry if this is sort of triggering, but the, the prophet says, even on the slaves, 
even on the slaves, even on those in your midst who have been relegated to the lowest possible position in your society, even those will be people who have access to the Spirit of God in that day. This is not an affirmation of slavery as a good thing. It is the proclamation that there is nobody in society, no matter how far low they go, who does not have access to the spirit of goodness and righteousness and peace and truth. Nobody can be excluded. This is the passage that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit of God surprisingly falls on the church on that day of Pentecost and all kinds of people are acting in all kinds of strange ways and Peter says, hey, don't think that these people are drunk. It's not that time of day yet. He says, this is the fulfillment of this prophecy in Joel chapter 2 that in that day, the Spirit of God will be available to everyone. Everyone. That is what the Spirit of God is doing. The trouble is, of course, that we have a tendency to take that thing, that spirit that animates us and empowers us and motivates us and literally inspires us to pursue goodness and righteousness and peace and truth and reconciliation all those good things and try to own it and control it. We try to say that that thing belongs to the church, for example, or a particular kind of church or a particular tradition in the church. We say that there are only certain groups of people who have access to this, but this is not the gospel that we see uttered in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, in this day, this prophecy is fulfilled. The Spirit of God has come to do what? To bring good news to the poor, Luke chapter 4. To bring sight to the blind, to bring health to the sick. Again, the Spirit of God comes to make things right. Their station in society does not matter. Galatians chapter 5 verse 22 talks about the Spirit of God, and then earlier Paul declares that that Spirit of God, that fruit of God, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, belongs to all people, Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, none are excluded. Now we have a tendency, I think, to think that Jesus is the barrier between people and this spirit. And so what we often do in the church is we say, yes, the Spirit of God is poured out on all people who are the right kind of Christians. So sign on the dotted line that you believe in this list of doctrinal truths, and then you have access to the Spirit of God. Then we will baptize your babies. Then we will let you be deacons in the church. Then we will let you have access to the privileges and the power that have been created by the church, but none of that exists in Scripture. Jesus is not a new, friendlier, kinder barrier between us and God. Jesus is the eradication of all barriers between humans and God. 
That is what Paul is saying in the book of Galatians. And in this moment, you might have noticed, like I have, in this cultural moment in the United States, large portions of the church are working hard to erect higher barriers to God. Large portions of the church are doing their very best to make sure that women know that they shouldn't have access to real authority in the church. The single largest evangelical denomination in the United States two weeks ago declared that women cannot lead in churches, that they do not have access to power. This is on the heels of that very same denomination being exposed as a denomination that is hiding sexual predators in its midst. You would think that they would attend to those matters first. But instead, they have doubled down and said that women can't lead in church. In this cultural moment, very large portions of the church are doubling down on their commitment to exclude access to the Spirit of God for LGBTQ people. In this moment, we are in a place where the church, fearing for its future, is doubling down on erecting barriers. We were in a similar cultural moment back in the late 1960s when the World Council of Churches put out a report. And that report was called The Church for Others and The Church for the World. At that time, the World Council of Churches, which represents dozens of denominations all over the world, got together and they asked themselves in this moment where culture is in tumult, where everything is being questioned, who is the church and what does the church exist for? This is what they said. What else can churches do than recognize and proclaim what God is doing in the world? That is our job. Our job is not to say that God exists in here, and if you come in here and you follow our rules, then you have access to God. Our job as Christians and as the church is to look out into the world and to recognize what the Spirit of God is already doing. And then to join with it, to bless it, to empower it, to give our time and our money to the movement of God towards justice and righteousness and peace that excludes nobody. If we have anything to offer to the world, it's that we ought to be able to recognize when God is doing that. That we ought to be able to point to moments in the culture around us where God is liberating the oppressed and then say yes and get behind that. That's what we have to offer. That's what it means to follow the Spirit of God. So, three simple steps, I think, that are required. The first step is we let go of control of God. God is God and we are not. God is out in the world pulling people into God's goodness and grace and mercy and justice, whether you like it or not. Whether you like who God is including or not, it does not matter. Just like Peter in Acts chapter 11, I say to you, if they are evidencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then who are we to say that they are not in?
let go of trying to control people's access to God. You can't. We can't. Step two, recognize the spirit by its character. If you want to know if that thing that's happening in the world is of God, then ask yourself, is it moving towards justice and righteousness and peace? And is it doing so by gentleness and kindness? Any movement towards justice and righteousness and peace that destroys people's lives, that does not acknowledge their autonomy, that exerts a violence against them, is not the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of the world. That is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says to his disciples, to follow after me is to take up your cross. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. It means we let go of oppressive forms of power. And then step three, and I think maybe this is the hardest part. We change. We change. We change to make room for people that we didn't want to make room for. We change to be close to people that we have a tendency to judge. We change so that we can accommodate and be in relationship with and be reconciled to people that up to this point we have judged to be out. This is exactly what the early church did in its very first council in Acts chapter 15. It recognized that the Spirit of God was bringing in Gentiles. So they got together and they asked themselves, clearly, if God is bringing in this whole group of people that we considered to be an abomination, something needs to change in us. And that's exactly what they did. They changed their practices to include a whole group of people that prior to that they had been offended by. Now, listen, I know because of who we are and what we do and the things that we say, you think I'm talking about LGBTQ people, and I am, but I am not just talking about them. I'm talking about every single group of people in the world that we have pushed to the margins of power. Queer people are just for this moment the biggest scapegoat. I promise you tomorrow it will be somebody else that's scapegoated. And when that day comes, I hope we will be there for them too. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather here and to continue to be stretched by the words of Scripture to continue to bring our prayers, to bring our hearts and our minds to you, to be shaped and to be formed by your gospel. So I pray, God, that you would move in our hearts, that you would transform us from hopelessness to hope, from despair to joy, that you teach us to recognize how your spirit is moving in the lives of the people around us so that we can join with what you're doing, so that we can be reconciled to each other, so that we can be a part of a world that moves towards goodness and peace. We pray all this in Jesus' name.